welcome to AdvantageReferee.com, software and services to help you become the referee everyone wants of their game. Making the right call can change your life. This is Richard Every, your host. He officiated in 16 tests, 40 European Championship games, 120 Premiership matches. He was on the seventh circuit took charge of the 2012 Junior World Cup final between South Africa and New Zealand. He's the elite referee manager for Pro 14 from England, Greg Garner. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's quite an introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, let's uh, go back to your school days. So you went to school in Coventry at uh, King Henry VIII School and you played rugby there as a flanker and apparently with uh, Andy Good. Yeah, that's right. So I was pretty lucky when I was at school. So I was in, played with some pretty good teams when I was at school. So I went to Coventry, uh, King Henry VIII School in Coventry, which was a, a really good, a really good rugby playing school. I mean, we played rugby, started playing rugby when I was 10 and then all the way through school, all the school teams till I was 18. Uh, we had, we had, so we played in the same team as Andy Good, who obviously went and played for England. Had uh, sort of 17, 18 caps and a good career there. And also in the same team as a player called James Grindle, who ended up playing professional rugby for around 15 years, Leicester, Newcastle, uh, Bristol as a scrum half. So we, we, had a, we had a really good team and they, they were great days. And you know, I was very, very lucky going to, to that school that probably the, the two highlights of my playing career at school were when, when we, we were lucky enough to go on two rugby tours. So we went to Australia in 1995 Oh, yeah. Uh, 35, 35 us went to that. And then two years later, we went to Canada in 1997. And I think those two tours really, just really just encapsulated what a wonderful sport rugby was. I mean, we, you know, going away as a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old to the other side of the world and you get hosted by these schools and billeted in these families. And it just shows what a, what a really great community rugby was. And they have some very, very fond memories of it. I've asked a couple of people this. I think a lot of us that end up working in rugby, we never really anticipate that that will be a career. But uh, when you were at school, uh, did you have any idea what you wanted to be? <laughs> yeah, I, I think when I was at school, I probably wanted to be. I mean, I ended up, my first career was as a teacher. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, that's a natural progression. I mean, I, you know, when I went off to university and I was sort of thinking, what do I want to do with my career? A lot of work that I did outside of, of school ended up when I was at university ended up doing a bit of sort of coaching and, you know, the holiday camps and, you know, I enjoyed being around kids. And I think naturally I, because I enjoy school so much, I ended up going into a training as a, as a teacher and that, and that probably still influences me now. And a lot of what I, what I do now is as my background as an educator. And I think first and foremost, I don't, you know, we could talk about this later perhaps, but I don't see myself as a, you know, as a referee manager as such, I'll probably see myself as a bit of a, a bit of an educator in trying to in trying to get the best out of people that I work with was that was what I first wanted to do in my life anyway be a teacher. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting because like Tapa Henning said, he wanted to become a preacher, you know. And I think uh, it just depends on on where you are and where you grow up. I know that when I when I was finishing school in South Africa, my only ambition was not to go to the army. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you do, you do whatever you can to try and get out, and that's go to university or do whatever you got to do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I think you might have to explain to listeners about this, but uh, you stumbled onto refereeing accidentally in the territory of uh, Aussie rules football. 
So yeah, I did. So when I when I left school, so when I going back to when I went to Australia in '95 on tour, I mean, we played all these wonderful schools, and being around the school, I sort of got got this uh, found out that all these schools had gap students from the UK and um, South Africa who who were there for the year to sort of like assistant teachers. So I applied to be a gap student in. Um, in Perth, in lots, in all the schools in Perth, and was lucky enough to get accepted by a school called Aquinas College. So I went when I left school. I went and lived in Australia for nine months. There, being an assistant teacher, helping out with boarding. And Perth is predominantly uh, Aussie rules territory, so they do play a bit of rugby union, or they did twenty years ago, um, and they played it in school. But it was sort of probably the fourth sport behind Aussie rules, hockey, and soccer. And so I ended up doing quite a bit of coaching with the school for that. And one day I sort of signed up for a coaching course on a Sunday. So at wherever it was in Western Australia, the Western Australia Institute of Sport. So arrived there to find out that the course was full. Um, and, you know, I couldn't do it. So they offered me my money back and I said, well, I'm here all day. Wasn't very happy. About <laughs> it. They said, well, look, there's a referees course next door. Why don't you just go and do that for free? And I said, okay, might as well do that. So went along to this referees course and it all started from there. So got within a day, got my first sort of qualification as a, a Western Australian referee. And then the next week, <laughs> I think I was refereeing an under eights or under nines game, um, which was great because you, there was, so they sort of mentored you up with somebody. I can't remember who, who they mentored me up with, but he was, uh, he was one of the senior referees in Western Australia at the time. And he came and watched me and he watched me referee this under eight or under nine game. And, you know, gave me gave me some really really good hints, and he, the first hint that I ever got was, whenever you blow your whistle for a try, make sure you blow it really hard. <laughs> it all went from there, really. So, and then so you know, then I did a bit more refereeing and found out I enjoyed it. And whilst I was playing out there as well, so I was playing for a for a Colts team, I ended up getting quite a bad shoulder injury. Um, so you know, halfway through the season, so halfway through the season, I was sort of like, I can't play anymore. I didn't really want to just go and watch. So I ended up doing a bit more refereeing and going around refereeing, you know, local third teams or a bit of schools rugby. Um, the started off with the under 13s, the under 15s, and just ended up really enjoying refereeing. Um, so it all sort of started from there, really. So it's really interesting that you mentioned that you had this mentor that was with you at your very first game because uh, – I was doing a survey across American sports, about 20 different sports, and uh, the only sports that are really successful about retention are the ones who provide a mentor on day one. Yeah, and I think, again, probably going to what I do now is is mentoring. I, I just think mentoring is so important because especially in, in refereeing I mean, refer and sport or in general, I mean, but certainly in refereeing, it can be such a negative existence. And I always found out when I first started refereeing, and when I came, and certainly when I refereed, when I started refereeing in the, in the UK, is I ended up getting into quite a few, well, a couple of really big arguments with people afterwards because, you know, I was turning up as an 18, 19, 20-year-old and I was refereeing these games and everybody wanted to tell me how badly I'd done and the mistakes I'd made. Even in the very first game, I, I can remember having a, a bit of a row with somebody at half-time when in a, you know, a local game in Coventry, it must have been, I don't know, second or third team games, which which... Really, it's just about 30 guys going running around having a bit of fun on a Saturday <laughs> exercise. And some guy marched up to me at half time just to tell me how badly he thought I'd done in the first half. And and it just sort of struck me that this is 
well, this is a terrible way of doing things. <laughs> so, because it's just not a very positive thing. So I guess now when, whenever I work with referees, yes, you have to tell them when they've done something badly, but you're not just there to tell them what you thought, what you think they've done wrong. Yeah. So even now with all the referees I work with in the, in the Pro 14, it's, it's trying to put in place sort of a mentorship program or a structure or, or even a philosophy where they feel that they've got someone to talk to all the time who's going to help them. Because they say refereeing, when you first start, you are on your own. You turn up, when you play rugby or play sport, you turn up and you've got all your teammates there and you win, you lose, you celebrate when you win, you commiserate when you lose. But when you referee, you just turn up on your own and you do the best job you can. And hopefully at the end of it, everybody's had a good time. But usually there's a winning team and a losing team. And the losing team probably haven't had as much fun as the winning team. <laughs> so it can be quite a negative a negative experience sometimes when you go to rugby uh, and certainly when you go to referee games. Yeah. So you went back to England and you joined Warwickshire Society of Referees. And then uh, when you went out for your first game, and this is a nightmare that I'm sure during my career, I had many, many nightmares of actually being late for a game. But is it true that you were late for your very, very first game there? You've done your research. Uh, yeah, I was. I, uh, it was a club called Coventry Welsh. And this was before probably sat navs and, and you know, iPhones. So I was driving. I'd never played there. And I was driving around and I, I just couldn't find where this, where this club was. And I could see rugby posts, but I couldn't for the life of me find how to get into this ground. And uh, I think I got there about 10 minutes before kickoff, ran in, got changed, apologised to everybody profusely that I was late. And in, in a way, it was everybody ended up being quite relaxed about it with my memories of it. And it was towards the end of the season. So it was about April, May time. It was a nice sunny day. So people didn't really mind being out in the sun, waiting around for the referee to turn up. And I think I turned up and was just didn't really think about it, was just so relieved to finally find the place. And I think everybody hopefully had a really, really good day. I certainly enjoyed myself. And um, yeah, there was a, I can't, I can't one of the, the sort of uh, the performance reviewers or assessors, Oh, I can't remember what his name was now in Warwickshire. So he was there. And the first thing he said to me, I said, look, I'm really sorry. He said, don't worry about it. These things happen. Go and get yourself sorted and I'll see you out on the pitch. And that just that really relaxed me. And again, talking about mentoring, yeah. that was the perfect thing that I needed to, to before I went and refereed that game. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, back in 1996, I was on exchange from South Africa to RFU and Steve Griffiths was still running <laughs> refereeing there. And uh, he sent me out to go and referee a game at Reading. And I couldn't find the pitch, so I stopped at a petrol station. And uh, when I said to the person, where's <laughs> Reading Rugby Club? And he, the first, his response was, are you South African? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but where's the field? And he was like, well, it's not really in Reading. It's sort of like over there, you know. And eventually, of course, I arrived an hour before. And, you know, in RFU back in those days, you had to arrive at least an hour and a half or two hours before people start freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> not long after your first game your third game was zero zero a nil nil draw <laughs> that's right yeah yes it was it was it was Barker Butts fourth team against Nuneaton third team and yet nil nil draw and it's the only game I've ever heard of I think or certainly ever been involved in playing refereeing watching where it was nil nil and uh, both teams missed one kick a goal, and it was nil-nil, and it was it was a great game of rugby. It was a brilliant game of rugby. Yeah. 
I think I think I was refereeing in one of these tournaments where we had like a twenty minutes each way game, but it was on a Sunday morning, and I think the players had party too much the day before, so there was just like log balls, you know, back in the day, they could ball forever. No, they might, there, were, there were certainly some guys who were probably quite a bit older than me at the time, but they, you know, they certainly wasn't because it was a, because they were they party too hard the night before. I hope it wasn't. <laughs> So you talked a little bit earlier about your studies and becoming a teacher and uh, you were a teacher, you actually taught with JP Doyle. That's right. Yeah. And then uh, you were head of geography and math. Yeah. And you were teaching three to 13 year old students. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, it was a school, Felton Fleet Prep School in, in Cobham, Surrey. Um, yeah, I've got some really fond memories of my time there. It was a they were very, first of all, they, they were, it was a great school to work at. Um, they were very, very supportive of, of mine and JP's refereeing. And the head of the time, Phil Ward, he, he was a really good rugby guy. And he, he was ever so supportive because we had Saturday fixtures. Um, it was a boarding school. So, you know, there were lots of times where, you know, other members of staff and, you know, stepped in so we could go off and, and referee. Um, but yeah, so I was there. I taught, taught, yeah, so JP... Um, he got a job there a couple of years after I was there and yeah, we worked together and yeah, it was, it was good school and good times. Enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time there. If you're teaching geography to kids that age, do you, would you be able to, on a blank map, be able to name every country in the world? Oh, I'd love to say yes, but no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. So getting back to refereeing, you know, you obviously started at a very young age and uh, often it takes a little while to develop your game knowledge, you know, and uh, of course, growing up in England you and playing probably your whole life, uh, that game knowledge develops pretty quickly. But And it's really an essential part of high-level refereeing. Uh, how, how did that process develop for you as a referee? Yeah, I think it's really it's a really important point you make there about game knowledge. And, you know, I remember Wayne Barnes saying this uh, many years ago. He says, like, you, you either get, you, you, you have to get experience somehow in rugby, so yeah. a lot of people get that from playing and they get wonderful experience when they're playing. And then when they, when they stop playing, they go into refereeing and traditionally, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that's how people got into it, but they had that experience of playing and they had maybe 20 years of playing. Whereas now you get people who are refereeing a lot younger and some people have had limited experience of playing and that's, that's fine. That's just how it is, but they still have to get that experience of rugby. Yeah. So you, I see a lot of guys now and girls coming into, into rugby refereeing when they're you know you speak to 15 year olds and they say i want to be the next international referee and, I, and that's great it's great to have that that target but you need experience in the game yeah and i think refereeing to gain as much experience as a referee as a player takes longer just because you're not around the game as much during the week you know you're not you're not with a team you're not talking as much during a game or you don't do your two training sessions a week with your team and say so refereeing can be quite a lonely existence, especially when you first start. So from someone who's played for 10 years at a, at a say, a semi-professional level, I think it would take twice as long as that for someone who hasn't played at that to get the same amount of experience they've got. Yeah. So you get, you've got quite a few guys now coming into, certainly into international rugby, you know, who've played professional rugby, Glenn Jackson, Carl Dixon, um, to name but two, who are, who are doing really, really well because they've played the game professionally. Egon Seconds, in South Africa, AJ Jacobs in South Africa, um, Mike Adamson, Andrew Brace, John Lacey, all these guys are ex-players. And I think it's so important for, for people who want to be refereeing to have that experience in rugby. And to anybody who's starting, I'd say play for as long as you possibly can. Because even though I've met some, 
some wonderful people and I've, and I've made a career out of out of refereeing and rugby I'm very lucky and I'm in the minority and you just cannot recreate the, those play the days playing you know being around a team winning with a team and get the whole experience of rugby so I'd say play for as long as possible you can definitely combine the two you can play especially when you're growing up you know if you go to yeah. university you could play university rugby on a Wednesday and referee on a Saturday or even club rugby play club rugby on a Saturday referee you know youth other rugby on a Sunday um, but to get that experience of bit of a rugby, it you need it to be to be a top level referee. Yeah. However, you get that everybody has their own path. But I'd certainly say there's 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 um, a way forward either way through playing or refereeing. Yeah, right? I think one of the things that I try and get across to a lot of the younger referees is to just watch, also watch a lot of rugby. You know, watch a lot of rugby and. Yeah as the game is unfolding, kind of imagine what's going to happen next. Yeah, just be around rugby. Yeah. I mean, even the guys I work with now in the Pro 14, one of the biggest things I try and encourage them to do is to, to get involved in with, with their professional clubs. Right. So, so for example, all the, you know, all the world referees, for example, you know, they should be, in my view, they should be in with the regions as often as possible being around rugby, you know, even just like refereeing their, their scrum sessions, refereeing their contact sessions, being involved in team meetings, mm. seeing what the players and the coaches are trying to achieve when they set out to the pitch. Because if you know what players are trying to do and why they're doing it, you've got a lot more empathy with what they're doing and you can understand it. Whereas, you know, if we go on the rugby pitch and we're seeing something for the very first time, yeah. nobody has got the skills cognitively to be able to deal with that effectively on a regular basis. Absolutely. Whereas if you rehearse it and you've seen it within a club environment or you've seen it in other games on TV with internationals or the competitions, whatever – then at least you've seen it so you're not coming into it completely blind and completely cold. So yeah. I def- definitely recommend anybody coming through just to be around rugby. You know, not not just watching it, but just be around it. You know, go down to your local rugby club and, you know, go and watch and, you know, help out with your sessions and, and you know, speak to people who, who are involved in rugby, coaches, players, other referees. It really helps. Absolutely. And the other thing that I, you know, we talked about mentoring earlier, but uh, it's always important to have someone in your corner to help you develop, to help push you forward. And uh, you had Ian Roberts as one of your first mentors? I did, yeah. And I, I, st- I mean, I saw Ian as a very, very good friend of mine. I mean, Ian Roberts, at the time, he was, uh, you know, when I first met him, it was over 20 years ago now. He was the training and development um, officer for Warwickshire Referees. He was uh, a national panel referee himself. And, you know, he's, he's still in a way. He's still, he's still, he's still, I'm still very good friends with him. Right? I mean, he came to a game. Um, you know, Ben Blaine made his debut in the Pro 14 two weeks ago at Newport and Ian coached Ben when he was with the RFU before he moved up to Scotland and Ian came down to support Ben and I caught up with Ian and even now we still have discussions and he's still, I still see him as a bit of a mentor, you know, we still talk about stuff and if I'm having issues in my, even in my job at the moment, I can just chat to him about what's his views about rugby and um, he's a really good friend and he, he, you know, he's done more for my career um, or did more for my career as a referee than anybody else um, out there. And it's because of him I, I got involved in, in refereeing, really. You know, when I when I first started with Warwickshire, he really grabbed hold of me and and pushed me through and gave me all the support he possibly could in the society, through the society to help me get onto the national panel and go from there. And he, he's, he was a big, and still continues to be, he's a big influence in my career. Great, great man. Great man. Yeah, it's really important that we have... You know, when you build those relationships that you keep keep them going, you know, and that you, you know, you expand your network all the time. When you were working with them before you became a uh, professional referee, 
at what point did you feel that you really reached that good understanding of contextual refereeing where you were more than just a technical referee, where you really have a moment where you have many moments where, <laughs> where the kind of lights come on and you go like, wow, it's just completely different to just running out there and blowing your whistle and uh, knowing the laws. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I wouldn't say I've ever got away from being decided I was going to be a contextual referee. I think when I first started, I was always there to try and to try and get the best possible game out of what was in front of me. Right. And I, you know, so you can, you know, and even what I do now, it sounds a bit corny, but you just want to contribute positively to the, to the game. And, you know, the best games are the ones where everybody's running around a lot and everybody scores tries and everybody's had a good time. And, you know, you blow your whistle and everybody wants to say, oh, thanks very much. I really enjoyed that ref. So I think that was what I always tried to do when I first started right through to my, to my last game was to make sure, to make sure the game was good. And to try and get a to try and get a positive game out of out of what was in front of me because you know I do think rugby rugby is more than just the laws of the game, um, and that that's what makes rugby refereeing such for me such a beautiful a beautiful sort of science or art because you know so it's tennis or cricket certainly tennis it's either in or the ball's in or it's out and it's very objective whereas rugby it's such yeah. a grey area the sport is so grey and it's very very subjective so. You know, you do as a referee have a have a little bit more leeway than in other sports to try and create a positive product and a positive environment in front of you. And I think that's what I that's what I always set out to do. Probably the, the, the couple of moments that spring to mind as sort of light bulb moments in my career was when it was two thousand and four, I think it was. I went on an RFU exchange to South Africa to Durban and uh, went went there with uh, another referee, Dale Newitt, who was a very good referee at the time and we went there and I just thought I absolutely loved it. I mean, going to another country, experiencing another culture. Uh, first, well, I first met Stuart Berry when I was down there, actually, um, and still remain friends with him when we're now. And, and just to see what the life was like as, as a professional referee, I guess. And I really want this. And before then, I, I'd never really had ambitions to, to be a professional referee. You know, I thought maybe I might get to referee in the premiership in England one day, but... Apart from that, I never really had any any ambitions sort of further than that. And so that trip to South Africa really changed my my view on on what I could achieve in refereeing, really, and what I wanted to achieve. Yeah, Durban's a great city. I lived there for many, many, many decades. <laughs> Obviously, the place where I was born. Yeah, and rugby in South Africa, is it's, it's so different to, to rugby in the UK. And again, that's what I think the beauty of the sport is, is that you go to all these different places around the world, even Wales, England, Ireland and Scotland, that rugby is just so different. And you go to South Africa and you experience a different culture and a different rugby culture. It's played in the sun. You have your brides outside, <laughs> uh, very physical. But at the end of the day, when the rugby's finished, you all shake hands with the opposition and you go and have a beer with them in the clubhouse. And that, wherever I've been in the world, that to me, that's the beauty of the sport. And that's probably why I love it so much, really. It's just that, that camaraderie and that friendship you get that, you know, you go out on the field and you batter each other. Um, and even as a referee, you go out there and, you you know, it's a real challenge mentally and emotionally sometimes to deal with 30 players who are who are involved in physical sport with each other. But afterwards, you'd like to think that whatever happens is you shake hands, you've all done you've all done the best you can and you go and have a beer with people in the clubhouse and have a chat with them and get to know them. Yeah, most definitely. So talking about traveling the world. So Ben Foden is now playing in Major League Rugby out in New York and uh he played in the first premiership match that you refereed? <laughs> he did, yeah. 
<laughs> you got to know him up close and personal very quickly. I did. So they always say in rugby, um, you know, get your first hit in early. So first, <laughs> my first game in the Premiership was Northampton against Saracens. Eddie Jones was the coach of Saracens at the time. Glenn Jackson, who I got to know as a referee pretty well, a good friend of mine on the circuit, he, he was playing 10 for Saracens. So Saracens kick off. So I blew my whistle, Saracens kick off. I chased after the ball and smashed into Ben Foden as he caught it. And we both <laughs> fell over. So yeah, that was a great experience. <laughs> but again, helped me relax. So it's <laughs> uh, good fun, good fun. So what were your processes and preparation uh, that you developed for matches over the years? I mean, you look so going into a season. So say, for instance, your last season, I don't think you planned on retiring when you went into your last season. So No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, when you go into a season, did you have goals for the for every season that you went into? Yeah, I did. I did. And it's interesting. I still, I remember that last season. Uh, it would have been 2000 and, where are we now? 2016, 2017 season. And, you know, I was definitely um, coming towards, the not towards the end of my career, but I was definitely over the hump of the, you know, so it was sort of things were not going as well as I, as I perhaps wanted them to do. But, but yeah, so goals were really important. And when I sat down with a guy, uh, Roley Williams, actually, who, who was my coach beginning of that season, I sat down with him and we, we had a coffee you know, July, August, maybe end of July, beginning of August time. And we sort of sat down and we said, right, goals, what do you want to achieve? And, and I sort of said, right, well, outcomes is, is irrelevant. So because obviously everybody says, when, what are your goals? I want to referee the Premiership final. Okay, well, you're not in control of that. And I was never in control of that. So I was never in control of the games that I was appointed to because I didn't do the appointments. But I was in control of what happened on the pitch. So when I was setting my goals for that final season, there were a lot of it was about me rather than sort of external influences about, you know, being selected for this and getting selected for that and being appointed to these games. So the goals I had for that season, one of my big goals was, you know, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about making sure the game is, is enjoyable. So was to make sure that the game is always moving. So the game never gets stuck in one area of pitch. So you talk about five meter scrums where everybody, every referee, it's a nightmare scenario. Whereas if the game is stuck in one area of pitch, then something is going to happen that's going to put pressure on you. So it was all about, right, well, let's move the game on. So then it became about how do we move the game on? We make really good positive decisions. So for example, um, you know, five meter scrum sequence where you just make really positive decisions. And if there's a chance for a penalty try, you give the penalty try and you move on. If uh, the attacking team are doing something illegal and it's clear, well, you pick up on it, you penalize them straight away instead of giving them a reset. Right. And you move the game on. You know, if the game was, you know, if it was, um, you know, if you get caught down one end of the pitch or there's injuries or there's stoppages or there's timeouts, we've, we've got to get this game moving. So you can manage players, you know, if a player walks to the line out, and then goes down, say he's injured. Well, you've just walked here, so we've got to get this game moving. Yeah. So a lot of it was about that. And then if you have that as your core, I had that as my core principle. It's like, right, how do we get the game moving all the time to create tempo in the game? And then it became, right, we've well, got to make really good decisions. And then it's got to be, right, well, what's a good decision? It's a decision that people accept, understand is accurate. So you then explore those sort of things. So when I sat down for that final season, the goals that I came up with, it was all about, sort of outcome-based things that I could control on the pitch rather than external sort of factors like being appointed to games. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, especially it's it's such a great 
lesson, I think, for for young referees coming through, you know, because I think that I think a lot of the referees focus so much on goals that are unrealistic that they don't have control over. So it's very easy for them to get disappointed. You know, other people are getting opportunities and they don't have necessarily have the emotional intelligence to to actually learn from other people's successes too. No, that's a really good point. And that's the same in life. I mean, you know, in any business organization, it's, you know, yeah. why, why don't I get promoted? Why does that person get promoted ahead of me? Or why didn't I get that job? And certainly in refereeing, I mean, you can become very fixated with what everybody else is doing. So you look at it all the time and you go, well, why is that person? Well, that's not fair. He refereed badly last week. Why has he been appointed to this game instead of me? I'm a much better referee than him. And I think when people start doing that, they're really missing a trick. And they're really, it's a lot of it is, Yes, you compare yourself to your peers and colleagues, but if you if you then become quite negative, um, and it can be a lot of wasted energy if you're always saying, "Well, that's not fair. Life's not fair." Whereas if you focus more on yourself and anything that you do, then you can control that, and you can just even if you're not going to be the, the the World Cup final referee, it doesn't mean that you haven't reached your goals. You know, yeah. being a better referee, becoming a better referee, and improving and developing. I really thought that that's, uh, you know, the reason why someone once invented mirrors is so that you, you know, whenever things aren't going well, you can go and look in the mirror. And uh, there's always a solution looking straight back at you. Yeah, it's really good. And there's this poem, um, The Man in the Mirror. I can't, I can't remember who did it or quoted it, but they've got it in there. If you go down to the to Bath's um, rugby club, their training, their training ground, in their weight room, is yeah. the poem is on, on a mirror in the wall. And so when the guys are doing, I remember going there training a couple of times. I thought it was absolutely brilliant, brilliant thing. So you're doing your weights and you're training, and then the the man in the mirror is looking at you, and then the po- you know the poem there is there to remind you. It's a it's a great poem. It's a really yeah, it's one of my yeah, it's a really really sort of quite thought provoking one. But yeah, you have to you have to yeah. look at yourself first in whatever you do. Absolutely, absolutely. So talking about control which you can control you know with all referees who experience highs and lows and uh were there any specific lessons that you learned that uh made you deal with uh, uh if you went through a tough period or had a tough game that would keep you grounded and helped you to continue to push forward um yeah i think it's so again it, it's having having sort of long-term plans and having a, a long you know underlying sort of philosophy of what you were trying to achieve that you know, rugby and life and refereeing, you are going to have days where things, for whatever reason, the bounce of a ball, you know, things don't go your way. That That's fine. Um, that's life. And I think probably one of the biggest things for me was when, when things don't go, don't go well, and when they do go well, is that you really have to analyse your performance and ask, well, why didn't they go well? Or why did they go well? And, you know, you end up, again, refereeing, going back to what we said earlier, it can be quite a negative existence where, yeah. You know, you're always focusing on on the negatives. And I think to, to look back, I probably, if I was to give advice to anybody, is to actually go, well, when things go well, that's when you should be really analysing yeah. and really digging and in, delving into the detail about why things went so well. Because the tendency is, you know, you referee a game well, and you go, oh, that went great, and you move on. And it's only then when you, you know, things go really badly that you then go, right, okay, we need to sit down. I need to get people around me. I need to get my mentor, my coach, my colleagues, my peers. I need support because things have gone really badly. And I think if you can if you can sort of reverse that on its head a little bit and go, actually, well, 
because it's a lot more pleasant re- reviewing a game when when it's gone well because you, you've done well and you know you've refereed well, you've made good decisions, it's been a good game, everybody's happy. And if you can actually go, well, well why did I referee so well? Um, what was key to my success in that game? I think that's probably the advice I would give to, to people coming through is not don't just review the when things go badly, um, is review when things go well. Because the more you review when things go well, the more you understand what you're doing and why you're so successful and why you're refereeing well, then the bad times will happen less and less often. Whereas if you're always reacting to when things go badly, one week it might be, well, I didn't deal with a difficult captain very well. So, right, I need to put in a plan to deal with that. But then the next time it might be, well, I didn't referee the scrums very well. So then you have to do that. And you're always jumping from topic to topic and you don't know really what you're trying to achieve as a, an overall thing. Whereas if, you, if you're always doing it, when th- if you're doing it when things go well, you know, right, I've got my my philosophy, I've got my purpose, you know, whatever it may be. Mine was to get tempo in the game. Right, how do I do that? Well, how did I get tempo in that game? And then you can take that through. So um, that would be that would be my advice to, to sort of some people coming through, really. Yeah, I think it's great to, to actually also share positive things. So even with Major League Rugby, when we have our weekly meetings, we have the referees because every referee does a game plan before the game and, uh, you know, on the on the weekly meeting, they have to share the, some of their game plan where they were successful, which is also it's, it's great learning for the whole group, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So you had another two years left on your contract when you decided to take on this new challenge of uh, Pro Fourteen. You decided to go from the dark side to the darker side. <laughs> yeah, two years ago. I mean, I still had two years on my contract yeah. um, with the RFU, and you know, in all likelihood, I, you know, if I if I hadn't taking this opportunity I, I probably would still be refereeing now I'd like to think yeah. um I never had plans to retire I mean I always again went you know goes back to a long time when when someone said you know what what was what are my goals or what were my goals in refereeing one of my goals was always to to go out on my terms when I wanted to go rather than be pushed out and you see a lot with certainly with well in any life but certainly with referees I think you see a lot where you know, referees come to the end of their career and however successful they've been and they just want to hang on for one more year and then they want to hang on for a little bit longer. And it becomes quite sad then in a way because when they do go, they're not remembered then for what they were, they're remembered for what they are now, yeah. which is never going to be as good. So I always wanted to to finish and retire when I when I wanted to retire. And that was always the back of my mind. And so two years ago, I mean, Ed Morrison, who was my former boss, head of referees at the RFU, he was the referee manager of the Pro 14. Um, and he approached me in January and said, look, you know, Greg, I'm retiring. They're making the role full time. You know, would you be interested in in applying? And I sort of said straight away, I was like, no, not really. Ed. I'm quite happy. I've got two and a half years left of my refereeing contract. I'll be refereeing for another five years. But then it's like anything. The more someone plants that seed in your mind, the more it grows. And then, you know, I spoke to a few people and did a bit of research and, and actually thought, actually, you know, this could be a really nice opportunity. And so, yeah, applied for the job. And, you know, when I finished the season 2017, I was going through the application process. So I didn't know whether I was going to get the job. So I didn't know my last premiership game was going to be my last premiership game, if that makes sense. I didn't know my last game was going to be my last game. And, yeah. and so it was, that was quite a weird, a weird sensation, a weird feeling. But I remember those, I mean, so at the end of that season, I refereed a premiership game up at Sale. Um, and then the following week, I refereed a European game um a, 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 what do you call it, like a playoff game over in paris 
And both of those, I thought, well, if this is my last game, you know, how do I feel about that? And I'm just going to try and enjoy it as much as possible. And I did and came off them and then got off of the job a couple of months later. And once you've invested so much emotional energy in applying for something that takes six months, you, you know, you, of course you're going to say yes to the job. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that meant, you know, one chapter of my life closed and another one opened. And, you know, to be honest, looking back now, it, it was the perfect opportunity, the perfect time. And, you know, I'm really glad I, I took that opportunity. So one of the key attributes I noticed about you is that you're always open to new ideas. You're willing to explore, you're willing to listen. And in your second year and from an outsider's perspective, my perspective, you know, you're quickly breaking your ground with your approach. You're building this team across five cultures. Um, you're working with uh, Stephen Light. Uh, the future's looking bright. Uh, how how do you feel about where you're going? Yeah, I think second year in, I mean, you know, it's interesting what you said there. It's like, I quite like you said that, you know, being about open to new ideas. And, you know, that that again, that probably is more about what, what my approach to to life is like is that I don't have the answers. I certainly don't have the answers to most things. So if you don't have the answers, well, you just need to find people who do have the answers. And when you find people who have them, you need to listen to them. So, you know, I'm very, very open to, to, to speaking to, to anybody. I mean, say we've done some great work with you and MLR um, and, you know, chatting through your, you know, the, the way that you set up your advantage system. There's certainly some lessons that I've taken from there, you know, chatting to other competitions and obviously from the premiership. There's some good lessons there, but, you know, I'd be really naive if I came into any job thinking, well, you know, my previous job, well, we did things brilliantly, so therefore we must do the same. And it's it's not like that in this job. Yeah. You know, I've been to Super Rugby and Lyndon Bray has been absolutely fantastic. He's been, I mean, he's just as open as anybody to, to have people coming in and chatting through new ideas. You know, that we've got five different countries. Well, I, I see that as five opportunities. So we've got five referee managers, all who are, who are very, very experienced referees and referee managers in their own right. And, and they've been absolutely fantastic. And I couldn't do this job without their help. Because if I did, it, I, I don't think I'd be doing it for very long because I wouldn't be very successful. So, so second year in, first year in anything new, it, it takes time to get yourself, get your feet under the table. It takes time to find, find out what the, the lie of the land is, build relationships with people. But I certainly feel, you know, second year now, look, the ultimate proof is on the pitch. You know, I do believe the group have refereed so much better this year than they did, they had at this time last year. And that that's credit to all the individuals involved. I mean, the referees, they, I mean, they work so hard in this tournament. Yeah. Um, and before I came in, you, you don't appreciate the demands that they go through in terms of travel. I mean, when we say we want neutral referees, that sounds, yeah, we'll just do it. Well, that means that they don't have a referee in their own country. Mm -hmm. So to get from say uh, Limerick to Swansea, it looks half an inch on, on the map, but <laughs> To get there, it takes a whole day of traveling yeah. and then a whole day of traveling back. So they're always traveling, which then means the fitting out everything else they've got to do, the training, the reviewing, the uh, preparation. It just amazes me how, how they manage to do it so well. And, you know, we've got a great group of referees in the Pro 14 who work extremely hard and who are very, very good at what they do. Yeah. We have, uh, obviously, we have referees traveling six hours to a game and six hours back, which is, seems to be the norm here, you know. United States being so massive. Yeah, I think it's, it's the same here. So, you know, you'd say like, say to get the other side of the country, okay, well, it's four hours yeah. flying time, but that's still a day of travel. Even from here to get to, you know, to get from Ireland to, to Wales, it's it's a whole day of traveling time. So, 
And I think, you know, people look at America and go, wow, that must be a lot of logistics getting people. And again, I think whilst it is a lot of logistics, it's very similar to when it, whenever you fly an hour flight, it's still six hours of your day. <laughs> it's tough. It's very, very tough. And so referee development, uh, which you touched on a little bit earlier, is uh, it's always shifting. And I know many still have performance reviewers and coaching. And uh, you know that we've taken more of a combined approach where we have the referee does a self-review and then the, the referee coach works with them because we, I just don't think we have enough people around the world to be able to do performance review and coaching. Uh, where are you going with, with your model? Yeah, so I think you're right there. We don't, we don't have enough expertise across the world for whatever reason and perfectly valid reasons. And I think, so again, goes back to what, what's important to me is individuals are important. So people ask me, why do, why do I do this job? And yes, I love rugby. You know, it's great to still be involved in it, to work for a great competition, a great tournament. But I do it because I want to develop people. I want to develop individuals. And I want to see individuals succeed. So therefore, all I've tried to do over the past year or so is to make whatever we do is we're supporting individuals. Yeah. So we give giving ownership back to the referee. So they've got ownership of their own development. You know, they come up with their own targets in their individual development plans, obviously with the help of a coach, with input from myself, from their manager. But ultimately, they have to they have to decide, you know, what they're trying to achieve and how they're going to try and achieve it. And we can point them in the right direction, but we certainly can't tell them what they're doing. So you give give ownership to the referees when they, they've got ownership about going into games, about what they're trying to achieve. And when they review the games – it's all about them. It's all about, well, what was their plan going into a game? Did they achieve their plan? Yes, you have to have a certain amount of audit of the game about when they blew their whistle, did they get the decision right or wrong? And we have to have some performance management, you know, to basically, you know, to show our stakeholders. But to me, the most important thing about uh, a game is what, what did the referee think of the game? Yeah. And, you know, then there's all these skills. Well, if the referee walks off thinking he was wonderful, well, actually the reality he wasn't as good as he thought he was. Well, then we've got a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And that then comes about, well, we need to educate that person on being, you know, being a little bit more open to feedback about how they reflect on their performance, about how they reflect on themselves, helping them to grow as individuals. And to me, that that's the exciting thing about doing a role such as this. Yeah. It's not about watching the rugby and, you know, saying, oh, they only made one mistake in a game. It's about seeing individuals grow and, and seeing people take ownership of their own development. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really excited that the direction that, that you're going and we, we're following on a similar path where as referees, and I'm sure you'll remember this from, from back when you were refereeing, that, you know, I think we we develop being defensive about our performances. Yeah. And uh, it's really interesting to see how, you know, to make that shift and to provide guidance but guidance as a group and not just um individuals going this is the way it has to be done you know definitely really interesting really interesting but uh so with so much uh data that's being collected across each game is there anything i know this is a probably not a great question but are there any specific ones that uh that helps you look to determine performance yeah that's a really it's a really good question it's something that i've thought about a lot over probably the last six months really is about how do you so if you look at other sports for example so and someone I was chatting to someone who who's involved in tennis and elite tennis in, in the UK and they were like well what what makes a great tennis player and they've got to do they've got to do basically got to do three things they've got to serve a lot of aces they've got to return a lot of serves 
and they've got to convert break points. If you can find a tennis player who can who serves more aces than anybody else on the tour, who has a high percentage of return of serve and converts more break points than any other player, he's probably going to win tournaments. He's probably going to be in the top five, even the top two or three players in the world. So that's re- that's how to break down what makes elite performance. And it's the same, I think, with I'm trying to sort of in mind, try and say it's the same in refereeing. What makes a great referee? What makes a great refereeing performance? It's not about how many tries have been scored in the game. It's, it's not necessarily about, yes, they've got to be accurate, but accuracy comes back to being quite subjective. Yeah. You know, we, we spend all our time in refereeing talking about debating decisions. Um, I mean, even from, you know, the, the Six Nations from, from like the first weekend, I mean, every game had debatable decisions. You know, uh, probably the England-Ireland game was the, the Makovanapola try, the uh, Henry Slade try. Was he? Was he? Was it a forward pass? Was he offside? So, and everybody has their opinion now. No matter which way you look at it, if you put a hundred people in a room, you're going to get a split of opinion. So, how do you decide whether that was the right decision or not? Well, usually on the majority, or you wait to see what someone more important than you says, and which is fine. But to actually define well, what makes a great refereeing performance, and so we're trying. I'm trying. I've done quite a bit of work with lots of people, and so things that interest me would be. Um, you know, think things that teams do. So if you can look back and you say, right, well, we had the number of breakdowns where we got unimpeded quick ball. Well, that's a stat then. And you can start building a picture. If you can do it, things like the number of scrums or set piece where the ball's being played away with people on their feet instead of everybody on the floor as a collapsed scrum or a maul that's failed on the floor. Um, you know, things like that. And, you know, how people speak, how people communicate. And I'm sure there's, there's a way, and I'm sure people who are far more intelligent and better at refereeing than me in the past have tried to do this, but no one's really nailed it down. And I just think if we can, if we can encapsulate the criteria for, for what makes an outstanding refereeing mm-hmm. performance, and we can have that as a baseline, then that's just going to help to give people something to work towards. So throughout their training, throughout their development, throughout the conversations they have with, with, when the referees get together – throughout the inputs we give them, the performance reviewers, the coaching. Um, and you could, if we can define what makes high performance, then we've got a much better idea of being able to to coach that and develop that. And that's going to help the referees and going to help the game. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's really interesting, though, because, you know, they talk about scrum percentage ball out. And I'm like, well, if you have, if you have eight scrums and three of them are, uns- are unsuccessful, then... You know, you, you're sitting with a much higher percentage than if you have three unsuccessful scrums out of 15. And, uh, you know, talking about rucks, some games have 120 rucks and some have 200 rucks. You know, so if you go, if you have 200 rucks and you have even 80% quick ball, you know, you still end up with 40 rucks where the ball was slow. Yeah. So and stats stats are, can be misleading. And this, you know, I wouldn't use this as a, as a the sole judge of did a referee referee well. But if you can just sort of paint a picture around what we're trying to achieve. So they've got a philosophy going into it. Well, scrums, we, yes, we want to be accurate, but we want to, we want to provide, what's our philosophy? What's your philosophy about scrums? It might be, well, it's to provide a stable platform to enable the game to, pl- to be played from or whatever. It might be, you know, what's your definition of around, you know, around a breakdown? It's, well, we want a competition and we want a fair competition. Well, I'd say if everybody's off their feet all the time and it's, there's bodies on the floor, it's probably not a fair competition. <laughs> Um, so 
you can always relate that back. It's always whatever you do, you've got to relate it back to what you're trying to achieve. What's your purpose? What's your philosophy? Um, and I say there's a lot of work to be done, and it will keep on evolving. And I, I say I certainly haven't got the answers, uh, but I think hopefully we'll, we're, we're getting there, and you know we'll, we'll try and we'll try and work it forward and try and build it into what we're doing over the next couple of years, two three years. Absolutely. So, Greg. I think Pro 14 and uh, the rugby world are definitely lucky to have you as one of the leaders. And uh, for me, it's always a privilege to work with you and to discuss the game with you. You know, uh, one more question. The landscape has obviously changed significantly since you started refereeing. Uh, what advice would you give someone starting out today? <laughs> yeah, so two, two bits of advice or th- uh, three bits of advice. Play as long as possible. Enjoy what you do. Speak to people in rugby. Excellent, excellent. Greg, thank you very, very much for your time. I'm sure we'll uh, connect again later in the year and uh, maybe before you get into season three. Yeah, no, thanks very much. Thanks for your time, Richard, and good luck with MLR this season. It sounds like it's going to be a huge success and I'm watching it with interest. Excellent, thanks. Bye. Check out AdvantageReferee.com, software and elite consulting services to help you become the referee everyone wants on their game. Thank you for joining us. This is Richard Everett.